Episode 3 of Enigmouth's The Night Jar Puzzle Types The story so far a paper based puzzle maker, that's me, is making a physical puzzle game for one person as part of a puzzle secret Santa. This puzzle cast, and I'm going to use the word puzzle several hundred times in the next seven minutes is a rambling way of creating both accountability of the process and sharing insights. If you've not listened to episodes 1 and 2, you are the kind of reckless beast I'm happy to have on board. If you are listening to this in sequence, you are also welcome. We were a bit worried about your anal retentiveness, but I admire your commitment to insomnia. So, to the game itself, nicknamed The Night Jar. It's called that because it's based in a jar. A very famous jar, possibly one of the most famous jars, although Google reckons it's seventh most famous. And because the items I wanted in it to be based on the premise of someone falling asleep and struggling. This is something I genuinely do have. Not just the jar, but the struggle to sleep. And I know that others do too. But it would be a lie to say that this was the inspiration. It's, in fact, a lot more tenuous than that. In truth, I came up with a jar idea one day, and then the slogan came to me, tying everything up straight away. That, then, is something of an introduction. As you can see, it takes me a while to get to my point. Over the past three or so years, I've been making puzzles for books, games and experiences, and have this daft rule to try and never repeat a puzzle, although it has happened once or twice. So how do I go about puzzles for this physical game? physical puzzles. As I explained in my previous episodes, I wanted my puzzle solutions to have a dual purpose, to both be an end result and also lead the way to the next puzzle. The best example I can think of this is Jack Fallow's Cryptogram series, a resolutely analogue experience for the paper fetishists among us. I like it. It leads a brave breadcrumb trail while building the narrative. I am, in short, a big fan. You can very clearly see his strength as a puzzle maker. He largely uses illustrations and simple puzzles in a new format. Other puzzle makers play to their strengths, for example using their technical abilities to build websites and online experiences, or crafting beautiful puzzles from pieces of wood. How would I marry my puzzle type to my materials? You see, I'm largely a word-based puzzler. Plays on words, puns, shifting letters and requiring phrases and words, that's essentially my bag. Could I do differently here? I certainly wanted to. With my items listed and their solutions written, I looked at the different ways I could disguise the answer. One strong precept I hold tightly to was once told to me on a games night. The first part of the puzzle is working out how to solve it, with the second part being actually solving it itself. With that in mind, I looked at my materials and began designing the puzzle mechanic for each object. One particular item, for example, came in two halves, so my immediate mechanic thought was to sort the consonants and the vowels into two halves, then miniaturise them to the point that they could be hidden. Other mechanics took more time. There is an object which uses colours, and I did briefly consider how to make my puzzles appear on the colours themselves, but being edible, I didn't want to risk poisoning someone. Not again. Incidentally, this object was a particular problem to resolve until I discussed it with my two youngest children, I have a large herd at home, and they solved it in seconds. 
I was grateful, but not in a way that I might put them on the payroll. The biggest challenge in puzzle mechanics was one of my aha moments, which involves a message appearing. Yes, it is lemon juice levels of childlike joy, but still gets me every single time. My dear Antipodean friend and inspiration James, that of Puzzled Reality, had a particular mechanic which made something reveal in a certain way and I loved it. I genuinely loved it. It may have helped that I'd had a drink or two and it was my birthday when I played his game, but still. In the end, after much fruitless searching, I asked him directly. He told me he'd learnt it from someone else in the puzzling community. So what have we learnt in this episode? As I see it, there are three key messages to take away. Think not only about your puzzle mechanic, but how your player might discover it. Share a challenge with small people, not dwarves, but children. They are far more perceptive and far cheaper than consultants. Ask other puzzle designers for help. We are all in this together, and apart from one particularly difficult encounter, they've been amazingly supportive if I've ever asked for help. I'll end by saying it must be incredibly frustrating for me to talk so obtusely about my specific objects, puzzles and mechanics. But the last episode of this series will reveal all. I just don't want to publish it until the person getting the nightjar has had chance to play it. The Nightjar was written and produced by me, Step Lockyer, with music by Durden. If you like what you hear, then head to enigmail.com and enjoy a 10% discount using the code hidden in this puzzlecast. If you don't know how to unlock the discount code, then consider a number and a word together in this recording. Thank you.